Likutei Sichos, Chelik Tezayin, that's volume 16, the second Sicha for Parshas Mishpatim. Now this Sicha is a Rashi Sicha, however, don't be afraid, it's not a complicated Sicha, in fact I found it to be a very interesting and thought-provoking but easy Sicha to really understand, to grasp and to master. It actually would give us a very will give us a very interesting perspective on the order of the mitzvahs that we were given, especially following that special, spectacular delivery at Matan Torah. And at the end, there is in the last chapter of the Sikha, there's an, an amazing insight according to Chsidis, which actually opens up a lot of amazing ideas on the mitzvahs that were actually told in this week's Parsha, which may not necessarily at first glance seem to be very, so to speak, spiritual. In the second Pasuk in our Parsha, the Pasuk begins, Kisikna Eved Ivri, that if one will acquire a Eved Ivri, which seems to mean a Jewish slave. And the Torah tells us that he should only work for six years, and in the seventh year, he goes out free. Rashi quotes these four words, Ki Sikna Eved Ivri, if you shall acquire or when you acquire a Eved Ivri. And he explains, number one, this is an Eved that is an Ivri, meaning he is a Jew. The next phase of Rashi Rashi actually goes into a question and says, well, maybe not. Perhaps the words Eved Ivri actually mean not a servant, not a slave who is a Jew, but rather a slave that was bought from a Jew. But the slave himself is actually an Eved Kenaini, a non-Jewish slave, which one bought from a Jew. And that's where the Torah is telling me that this slave you could only keep in your possession for six years. And then Rashi continues and says, well, if this is the question, then we would need to answer another question which will arise as a result of this. And that is, how then would one fulfill the commandment which is stated much later in the Torah, which says, that when it comes to non-Jewish slaves, you should leave them as an inheritance to your children. So Rashi, that's not a problem. Because we'll be able to differentiate and say that that commandment, the one that says you're supposed to keep it as part of your estate and pass it on to your children, will say that's when you bought a non-Jewish slave from a non-Jew. And perhaps maybe here we're talking about a non-Jewish slave who was purchased from a Jew. And that's when, for whatever reason, the Torah tells us, keep him only for six years. Since this could be a possibility, since perhaps one would think this, says Rashi, no, this is not the case. And we rather, when the Pasik says, Eved Ivri, it actually means a Jewish servant, a Jewish slave, a slave who is Jewish. How do we know this? So Rashi brings a Pasik from Chumash Devarim, which clearly st- spells out and says, 
that when you purchase one of your brothers, one of your brothers becomes sold to you as a slave, then he should work only for six years. So that, so to speak, qualifies what it says over here. That's basically the Rashi. I took a few moments to explain the Rashi. But here are some of the questions that the Rebbe asks. Number one, it's obvious that the question of Rashi, or what the issue Rashi is addressing, is exclusively on the words Evet Ivri, those two words. Why then does he include in his heading, in the Dibur HaMaschil, the words Kisikna, as if you shall purchase, or when you purchase? If that doesn't seem to be directly related to the matter that Rashi is discussing. And we know how much Rashi was particular in quoting only those words which pertain to the explanation that he gives. In other words, Rashi only quotes the problematic words because that's what he's addressing. If Rashi ever quotes any other words that has a bearing, that has actually an influence on the outcome, on the answer Rashi's going to ask or the question he's going to ask, how does that play a role here? Another question What's the rationale? Why would there even be a rationale to ask such a question? In other words, Rashi is talking to the Ben Chamishanam Lemikra. Rashi is talking to the child who's studying Torah. Why would the child have this question? Where do we find in the Torah that it should say something like this and mean something different than what it seems? For example, in Chumash Bereshis, when the butler was describing Yosef HaTzadik, how did he refer to him? He said, Nar Ivri, a youth, a Hebrew youth. It did not mean there, and there is no question that it doesn't mean that it's a youth who was purchased from the, from the, from the Hebrews. It means what it says. In other words, why would I think, what caused cause me to think even, to have this question that Rashi has to address it? And then three, why then does Rashi have to go into this lengthy explanation and to justify the question with a pasuk, with a verse, a commandment which we certainly are not aware of now or for sure the child who's just beginning his Chumash studies certainly has not reached her yet because it's at the end of Chumash Vayikra where the Torah tells us this commandment about leaving the non-Jewish slaves for inheritance for your children. It's going to be written so much later. Why would Rashi bring it here? Now, I will tell you that there are many more details to the question, some back and forth. But for that, I would, I would suggest you look in the um, Sefer itself, in the Lakuta Sichas itself. We're going to go into the answer right now. The explanation of all this is as follows. We all know the story of when the Jews left Mitzrayim, which was not too long ago. Remember, they just received the Torah. And this parsha, Ve'ela HaMishpatim, is right after Matan Torah. Hashem says, and, he begins with the word and, and these are the actual details of the Mishpatim, of all the rules, of all the civil laws that they need to know about. And why does he begin with the word and? Rashi tells us in the first Pasuk, because it's connected, it's directly related to Matan Torah. In Matan Torah, they heard the generalities, and now they're going to get the details, things that apply to their day-to-day -day life. Now, when they left Egypt not that long ago, you know how they left. They left all full and laden up with riches, with gold, with silver, with jewels, with garments, with the most expensive stuff. 
Later when they experience Kriyas Yamsuf, we know it says that by Bizas Ayam, the loot and the and the and the um the, the booty that they got at the splitting of the sea after the Mitzrim died and was spit out of the of the water was even greater than that which that which they left with for Mitzrayim. That Moshe even had to take them away, tear them away from there. That's how much there was there to collect. So I I ask you, isn't this obvious? Doesn't one reach an obvious logical um, conclusion that the idea of Evet Ivri was not applicable at that time? Not only was not applicable, it could not exist. You see, how does one become an Evet Ivri? Either one stole and he could not pay back, or one was found himself to be so poor that his only choice is to sell himself as a slave. That was not in, in existence at that at that juncture. Every single Jew, the poorest of the Jew, was a very, very rich man, was very, very, very affluent. And therefore, the question becomes, then why would the Torah talk about it now? Why would the Torah speak about an Evet Ivri? Why would the Torah address this issue, which is absolutely non-applicable, non-existent at that moment, at that juncture in time? And that's why, Notwithstanding the fact that Rashi made the statement that Eved Ivri means an Eved who is a Jew, immediately Rashi addresses the obvious question, the obvious problem here. Wait, maybe it doesn't mean that, because practically speaking, it can't mean that. If it does mean that, then why would the Torah tell us something that had no connection to that time? Like I mentioned, the Torah is telling us the mitzvahs, the rules which we have to keep now, right after we receive the Torah. It tells us the practical, applicable rules to every to the day-to-day life. However, once Rashi asks the question, so he gets us thinking. And when I say us, I mean the mind of the child, the menchamishan and the mikra. And if they were thinking, we'll say, one second, we know somebody, actually a very prominent personality in Judaism, who had a slave, and he had that slave for a very long time. Remember, Avram Avinu had a very famous slave, Eliezer. Eliezer, we encounter him at several points in the story, in the life story of Avram Avinu. At the very early on, when Avram Avinu fought the kings, later, Eliezer is even the Shatchan. He is the matchmaker for Yitzchak. So many years later. So the question that would immediately pop up in the child's mind, if indeed this may mean a non-Jewish slave, then how would it have been possible for Avram Avinu to hold on to a slave for so long if here the Torah is telling us that you can only hold on to a Jewish slave, at least in the question phase, that you can only hold on to a Jewish slave for six years. And we know that Avram Avinu indeed kept the entire Torah even before it was given. Everybody knows that. Ah, therefore Rashi has to address it. And therefore Rashi says, well, if that were to be the case, if that were to be the case, that what? That when it says Evid Ivri here, it means an Evid which was purchased from a from a Jew, but the Evid himself is a non-Jew, then I'll answer it, says Rashi. 
Because it's obvious that Avram, there was no other Jews in his day. So if Avram purchased Eliezer, and if indeed it would have applied to a non-Jewish slave, but he never purchased Eliezer from a, non, from a Jew, he purchased him from a non-Jew, and that's why Rashi has to qualify it. However, instead of asking the question from Avram Avinu, he asks it from an actual mitzvah in the Torah, although the Ben Chamishan and Mika does not yet know about it. He is not yet aware of it. Because it's the same question. So Rashi would rather ask it from an actual Pasuk than ask it from something that we know about Avram Avinu, which is really more Medrash. And now we can understand why Rashi also quoted in the heading, in the Dibur Hamaschal, the word Kisikna, when you shall purchase, or as if you shall purchase. Because this actually strengthens the fact, this actually emphasizes the fact that it is indeed a Jewish slave. Because we're talking about someone who you're going to purchase, okay? That you're going to, um, um, you're going to um, purchase him, you're going to acquire him in a future date. Let me explain. See, really, before or without Rashi, we could have asked a very simple, obvious question. Many times the Torah gives us rules about certain facts, about certain scenarios. The Torah doesn't go and say, look, if this will happen, the Torah just states the scenario. For example, it says, Maka'ish v'meis, if a person, a person who hits somebody and the person dies, Mois Yumas, he has to be put to death. It doesn't say, if you'll hit somebody and then he'll die. Why over here does the Torah say, if you shall purchase a slave? It almost seems to be implying that this is not something that's going to happen now. This is something that's going to happen in the future. This may not even happen for a very long time. If this ever happens, if this shall come about, then here are the rules. That's actually what prompted Rashi to ask the whole question. Because this actually emphasizes that this is not talking about something in the present. Quote, an Ebed Ivri works for six years. An Ebed Ivri is not a fact. It's not yet a fact. It's only in the future. That's what prompted Rashi to one second, what's going on here? Why would we be talking about an Eved Ivri, which is only going to come about in the very distant future, after they come into Eretz Yisrael, and after Jews begin to lose all those possessions that they have acquired from Mitzrayim, and there ends up being a scenario in which a Jew is poor enough to steal or to sell himself, then there will be an Eved Ivri. That's what prompted Rashi to ask, well, maybe it's talking about an Eved Knaini, a non-Jewish slave. So this actually contributed and enhanced the reason for the question. So that's what Rashi concludes, that it's an Evet Ivri. But now we have to actually explain and understand something very, very important. But just to use logic, if indeed, which is actually the case, this is not talking about an Evet Knani, a non-Jewish slave. This is talking about a Jewish slave. Then really, why would the Torah talk about it now? Why is the Torah talking about it now? What is the direct, practical connection to Matan Torah? Why would the Torah talk about something immediately after Matan Torah, something which has no connection to the reality of the time? In fact, it can't even happen. Says the Rebbe, although Rashi doesn't address it in this Rashi, but in several verses, in verse Vav, in the sixth Pasuk, 
Over there, Rashi does explain, when over there we talk about the Eved, if after he refuses, after the six, after he serves the six years, if he refuses to leave and he says, no, I like it here, I like my family here, I like my new wife, I like it here, I don't want to go home. Then what are you supposed to do, says the Torah? You're supposed to bore a hole in his ear. And Rashi explains why. Rashi tells us. Rashi says, because the, he, the ear that heard at Mount Sinai, the prohibition of Lois Signa, do not steal. And he went ahead and he stole. That's why the ear should be punished. The ear didn't hear well, didn't pay attention, didn't absorb what he was told. That same ear that heard, quote, Hashem said, for to me all the Jews are my servants. And he goes here and voluntarily tries to become a servant of someone else, a servant of a servant. He should be punished. The ear should be punished. So Vidya Rashi explains something phenomenal. You see, whenever we see in the Torah, whether it's reward or punishment, we usually do not see a direct or visible correlation or an obvious understandable connection between the, the reward and the mitzvah or the punishment and the avera and the sin that was committed. Think about it for a second. For example, it says in the Ten Commandments, you honor your father and mother. You honor your father and mother, you'll have long life. A, what's the connection? You'll have long life. What's the connection? It's a nice reward, don't get me wrong. But what's the connection to honoring your father and mother? And number two, even when the reward comes about, that's in a very distant future, at a point where you won't even realize and recognize the connection to the mitzvah that you did back then. Now let's take, for example, a sin. Somebody committed an avera and is being punished. Let's say, for example, somebody didn't bring the carbon Pesach. What is the punishment for not offering the carbon Pesach? Karis. To, be, to die early, Hashem makes a person die at an earlier age than he should have. What's the connection? What does one have to do with the other? We don't see a direct connection. There obviously is one. But we, as human beings, don't have anything to go with to appreciate the connection. This is why the Torah brought us this mitzvah as the first mitzvah right after the Matan Torah. Because here you do see the direct connection, the correlation between the, the, the act that the person committed, the sin that the person is transgressing, and the punishment that the person is receiving. It's true he doesn't receive it in the initial phase. The initial phase is that he has to work six years. But if those six years don't prove to be effective, and the person still has that mindset where he's ready to stay on, in other words, he has no problem with remaining with that title of Ganif, or a thief, or remaining the title of servant, a slave, and he doesn't care to continue with that, then you give him the punishment which is directly correlated, directly connected to the commandment that he had transgressed. And this gives us a very, very good understanding as to why the Torah chose this as the very, very first mitzvah. Because this brings out the fact that everything that Hashem told us about the Torah, and everything that results from it, whether it's reward, punishment, they are all connected, they all have a reason. Here he gave us one example and he said, listen my dear children, you see the reason here, you see the direct connection, you can trust me that every single uh, reward and punishment has a direct correlation to the mitzvah itself, even though you can't always appreciate it. 
Says the Rebbe, according to Chassidus, we'll also understand in a deeper level, give a little more uh, insight as to why Hashem chose this to be the very first mitzvah discussed right after Matan Torah. What is the purpose of Matan Torah? What is the objective of Matan Torah? The objective of Matan Torah is that through one's Torah and mitzvahs, one actually affects a purification and elevation of the world. And therefore, the Torah gave us this mitzvah first. There is a mimer of the Mittler Rebbe in Torah's Chaim, where he actually explains the three types of servants that are actually mentioned in this parsha, albeit not in this exact order, the Evet Kneini, the non-Jewish slave, the Evet Ivri, the Jewish slave, and later the Oma Ivriya, the Jewish maidservant. And he explains, an Evet Kneini, how, how does he apply it in Avodas Hashem, in our service of Hashem, in the life of each and every Jew? An Evet Kneini is somebody that he is a slave, he has the mindset of a slave, of a very goyish slave, a very goyish mindset. Now, what is the mindset of a slave? The Gemara says, in describing what a slave is, the Gemara says, that a slave, by definition, he, he, he seeks out, a slave is, a, quote, a life of abandonment, meaning, you know, void of any rules is preferable to him. So what is an Evet Kanaini? Somebody who, in, in essence, his whole being is like, he has a very, very strong connection and he's drawn very much to worldly things and, 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 and things that are perhaps even worse than just, you know, worldly things, to very lowly things. However, he's like an Evet. He forces himself to do what his master wants and therefore, at the end of the day, or in actuality, what he does is always... You know, sur He's always, you know, avoiding the bad and trying to focus on doing the good. Then you have an Evid Ivri. What is an Evid Ivri? An Evid Ivri is obviously just by, 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 by what it sounds, right? By definition, already on a higher level. He's still an Evid. He, he still has some qualities or, 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 some, or some attributes of an Evid where he still has some pull or some interest, you know, sometimes some desires, some thoughts of indulgences, of, of, of being pulled into the world. But in general, he's already in a level of Ivory. He has the mindset of a Jew. He has the mindset he's more connected to his Nefesh Elikis. He still has to employ and apply Kabbalah's oil and push himself to do what Hashem wants. But in the general, he's, you know, he's more or less an Ivory. And then there is the Oma Ivriya. Without getting into detail for that, look into the Mimer itself. And Oma Ivriya represents somebody who has experienced total transformation. Her whole being is one that is conducive of Torah and mitzvahs. In fact, they turned the Nefesh Habamis, like the Alter Rebbe describes in Tanya, took the Nefesh Habamis and totally transformed it into, and, and harnessed all its strengths and its energies into serving the Nefesh Elikis. Now, since the beginning of all Avoida is the mode of Evet Ivri, especially as the Jews stood then, they just received the Torah, they feel very connected to Hashem, they feel very spiritual. It's just that they also have still some taste uh, in their mouth of Olam Hazar, and therefore they are perhaps, you know, uh, at some point or another, you know, in danger of being pulled into the world. 
Therefore, Hashem addressed this particular type of Jew, this mode of service of Hashem, the Eved Ivri. The ultimate is to reach the level of Oma Ivriya of the Jewish maidservant, which is a total transformation. Or in terms of the uh, Hasidic terms, the Eved Ivri is Iskafia. The Oma Ivriya is absolute, is Habcha, absolute transformation.